this is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Today's episode, we'll be talking about the leaf-footed plant bug and its emergence recently. We'll talk also about weeds and weed control, planting horsetails and keeping them from spreading, twisted myrtle, and ants inside of fig fruits. This and more on today's Desert Horticulture. Now is the time when we're starting to see now it's now July. It's July 18th. This, actually, this uh, I'm reading from some questions that were submitted back in late May or June. So June is the time when we start to see the leaf-footed plant bug. Late May, June, and uh, it is a terrible pest. It will get in the fruit trees and in vegetables and a whole bunch of things. Um, and they, they're strong flyers, so they fly from the neighbor's property as well. But we start, we're starting to see them uh, starting to appear right now. They'll overwinter on bottle brush, anything that's evergreen, where they can suck plant juices through the wintertime and uh, try to stay alive. But uh, we're seeing them now. I've actually had um, directed one person to, they were very opposed to using any kind of chemicals at all, any kind of pesticides. So uh, I had them uh, use a hand vacuum cleaner, a dust buster, and they reported to me it worked just great for them. But it requires diligence. You've got to go out quite often and use that dust buster. But anyway, they're flying right now, so just for your information. My front and back lawn were taken over by what I call small nettle head weeds. Walking on them barefoot remind me of sand spurs that I saw in the south. I've been told it was Bermuda grass weed and chickweed, but it doesn't look like the pictures of chickweed I've seen. Can you please identify them and tell me how to get rid of them? Well, the picture that was sent to me was not uh, was not real clear, but it was what was clear about this is that I don't think it's um, it's a perennial weed. It had a very strong root system, a very woody, deep root system on it. Uh, the person who sent it had dug it up and showed it to me. The two weeds that that sometimes that this person might be referring to, which can be a problem in our climate, uh, one is called sand burr, and the sand burr is a grassy weed uh, that when you walk through it and if it's left unchecked, you'll get all these little burrs stuck to your clothing. It's not a really bad weed from damaging people or animals, but it's a nuisance and it spreads easily when it, uh, when these uh, seeds can be, seed heads, the seeds can, uh, can attach to clothing or to dogs, dog fur, anything else and be spread. The other one is much more difficult weed uh, to handle and uh, it's called puncture vine. And puncture vine, like its name implies, uh, it's got these yellow flowers, and the it looks it's not a grassy weed. It's a it's a dicot. It's a weed that has uh, that has leaves that may resemble a little bit like um, like a broadleaf weed. I was going to say something like watermelon, but it's not, it's, they're much smaller than that, the, the weeds themselves, the leaves themselves. But what's memorable about it are those doggone um, seeds that they produce. In either case, the, the seeds on puncture vine 
they'll, they'll usually the, the seed produces four spines. And when it lays on the ground, this seed, when it's mature, uh, three of the spines will lie on the ground and the fourth one sticks straight up. And it's been known to go through bicycle tires. I've had them go through the bottom of my shoes, stuck in the bottom of my shoes. They're not as bad as mesquite thorns or acacia thorns that go right through your, the sole of your foot and enter your foot. But they do, they can stick and, and rupture bicycle tires, motorcycle tires, if you're not careful. I don't think, I've seen them do a number on golf cart tires as well. Uh, so either one of these, whether it's the grassy sand burr or whether it's the more watermelon-like spreads out much like a watermelon, the uh, puncture vine, either one of those, uh, what I'd strongly suggest on the sand burr is uh, just to pull it after an irrigation, go out there or water it, wait a couple, a minute or two in that area and then just hand pull it when you see it. Uh, and don't let it spread. Both of these are really poor competitors with other things. If you've got a lawn or something, a, a thick layer of mulch, they usually don't appear through the mulch, very rarely. What they, because they're weak competitors, they, mulches usually keep them out of an area. And they'll start to grow into the areas between mulches or areas where there's bare soil that receives some irrigation. So if the soil stays wet and it's open, uncovered, unmulched, if there's not other plants to compete with it, like lawn grasses that are great competitors, it'll go ahead and uh, grow in those things. And I have seen it, uh, I've seen sandburr compete in uh, real, it really likes sandy soils. It doesn't like heavier soils. So if you've got a, a sandy soil that's open, whether it's open because of an irrigation problem, open, what I mean by that is that there's a hole in it where you can see bare soil. There's sunlight. Either the Bermuda grass is going to get in it or a sand burr might. Both the sand burr and the puncture vine are annuals. So when I look at the picture that was sent to me, the strong central taproot sure reminds me of a perennial weed rather than an annual weed. The Puncture vine and sand burr both are annual weeds. And if you stay on top of them, if you pull them, if you're out there, a friend of mine used to say, the number of weeds on your property just depends on how many times your shadow passes across it. So if you're not out there and you're not looking for these weeds, you're going to miss it. But at least once a week, walk your property and pull these weeds or use a hoe, a scuffle hoe, like a hula hoe, or uh, hand pull them. The, the hula hoe works really quite well, especially in sandy soil. Another good hoe to use is that diamond hoe on sandy soils. It doesn't work well on rocky soils. The hula hoe works better. But on sandy soils, it works quite well. But anyway, on these things, you don't want to let them get big enough where they start to flower and they start to make seed heads. Because uh, like puncture vine, for instance, can produce up to 5,000 seeds one plant can produce up to 5,000 seeds in a, in a single year. So stay on top of it. And the puncture vine, unlike the sand burr, the sand burr grows up, stays fairly erect, and it's fairly easy to pull. 
but that puncture vine just spreads like a mat and it gets bigger and bigger it gets it it spreads it's indeterminate it doesn't have a a size if if it starts early in the season it just and it's got an access to water and some fertilizer it's going to grow like gangbusters so you got to stay on top of those and they start to emerge right around um, right around the end of spring beginning of summer so in our climate that would be probably around uh, uh, end of March early part of April and and then they'll germinate the seeds that are in the ground will germinate and sand burr, you know, is brought on the property because the sand burr is not the puncture vine. The puncture vine is says what it says. It's punct it'll puncture tires. The sand burr that stays uh, caught on clothing, it's easily transported by animals, by people with their clothes. Uh, the puncture vine really relies on, and it can do some damage to some animals. It can do some real damage to equipment and people but it relies on that that one spike that's sitting straight up in the air going into something and then being moved somewhere and where it can drop its seeds and relocate and that's that's how it that's how it disperses itself naturally so stay on top there are some the sand burr you can use chemicals but uh, you know some pre-emergent herbicides on puncture vine doesn't doesn't respond well to pre-emergent herbicides. You can use them on sand burr, but really competition, mulch, getting plants, shading the soil, all those things do a, a much better job than just spreading uh, herbicides, weed killers on it to try to control them. So take care of those. Puncture vine, look them up. You can Google the picture, either sand burr or puncture vine. Google it. You can see it and see what it looks like but uh, if you've got some open area on your property it's it's going to have one of those two weeds or if it doesn't somebody's going to bring it in i have numerous horsetails planted in pots in a dry riverbed to keep them from spreading into my landscape one of these plants appears to be dying and i'm thinking that others will in the future is it because they are becoming root bound in the pots can they be contained if i plant them in the ground instead well, you're right in that horsetails, also called equisetum, it's, um, you find them really growing in swampy areas. They, they're one of those plants that don't really require a lot of oxygen near their roots. So they'll, they can grow very nicely in really, really wet, wet soils, riverbeds, that kind of thing. And uh, what's nice about the equisetum or horsetail is that... Um, is that they they give what what landscape architects or designers might call verticality to a landscape. They grow straight up in the air, and they're in bunches. So so it's one of the few things that really grow straight up. A lot of things spread or get wider. What these don't. These go straight up. But the negative side of it is that they produce these roots that will become invasive they'll spread if you plant them in the ground and if that ground is wet uh, they will spread underground through rhizomes to a new location and pop up in a new location and start and in a matter of just a, a couple of years you're going to have a solid stand 
of Equisetum if they really like it in that spot and there's water available and nutrients available. So containing them is ideal. Putting them in pots and in the landscape is really not a good way to contain them because, um, well, if you do it, you can double pot them. In other words, you can put a pot in the ground and put a layer of about an inch and a half or so of coarse gravel in the bottom and set the other pot inside of it. But you've got to go out every couple months and turn that pot. It's d called double potting. It, you, you can go in and you've got to turn it because those rhizomes will go straight through the hole in the bottom of that container and the inside, go through the rock, follow that water, and go through the bottom of the container on the outside and, and they'll pop up in your landscape. And once they're in the landscape, they're kind of difficult to get rid of. They're, they're difficult. So you want to contain them. I, I would guess, I'm doing some guessing here, but I would guess if you're going to put them in the ground, you'll need something that's going to go probably 12 inches deep to contain them if you're going to do that. I don't think they'll grow beneath that. I think they'll stay in one place. But if there's any kind of hole or anything in that barrier that's surrounding them, they'll get through it, they'll get beyond it. In some cases, some plants will go under a 12-inch barrier, like a root barrier. Look up a root barrier, and you can put root barriers around them. But in my opinion, I think one of the ways you can do it in the desert is you can contain them with water. So if you're putting water in one location, if nothing is planted within three or four feet of that area, typically that will be enough to contain them because the area around them will be very, very dry. Plants don't go looking for water, but if there's water present, they'll follow it until, and, and they'll really get aggressive when they've found uh, some water that keeps getting the concentration of water gets higher and higher. And if there's nutrients in it, like a split from a sewer pipe or something, or a leach field, they'll really enter that and they'll do really well. They'll grow really well, but they'll they'll cause a lot of problems as well. So if you're growing equisetum or horsetail, make sure it's contained, thoroughly contained, either by making it totally dry around them or contain them with something that that has a root barrier that's down at least 12 inches. So it doesn't escape that particular area. And if you do see it escape, get rid of it right away. Don't let it get established. Okay? So uh, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Uh, half of my twisted myrtles on the east side of my house are dead-looking with brown leaves. The same plants on the west side of the house are not showing the same condition. I checked the soil water levels with my water meter, and they are plenty wet. Do you know what's wrong? Well, I'm guessing that this is twisted myrtle, myrtle and one of the more popular varieties is called Boetica, uh, twisted myrtle, and all the twisted myrtles are native to, they're, they're a good plant for the desert, by the way. They're not a desert plant, but they do, they can handle uh, somewhat dry conditions, uh, periodic irrigations, that kind of a thing. Uh, they like wet winters, like any Mediterranean plant. They like wet winters and hot, dry summers. So this particular, the, all the myrtles are native to the Mediterranean region, where the soils are, because there's it's a more lush environment than our desert, 
there is going to be quite a bit more organics in the ground than, uh, than we have in our soil. So if you do plant uh, twisted myrtle, make sure you amend that soil with uh, some, some compost so that it can get to, off to a good start. Be really careful too because uh, you really need some good soil drainage. Um, in twisted myrtle, any of the myrtles, you do, if you have poor drainage, if the water doesn't drain well, if it sits there, and if you use, let's say, a water meter, and if that is constantly pegging at 10 and not decreasing much, then you could have a problem with root rot in myrtles. Anything, any plants that like drier soils, Mediterranean plants typically will have a problem with root rot. They'll have a problem if the soil stays too wet. So uh, make sure that it so somewhat dries out between irrigations and, uh, and doesn't get too, doesn't stay all that wet. Remember, you'll have the same problem with, if it's Italian cypress, you'll have the same problem. You'll have the same problem if it's rosemary. They'll all suffer from root rot. And in particular, if you're using desert plants at all, uh, be really careful of root rot problems. Too, watering too often or having the soil, uh, planting them in low spots where water accumulates or having a soil that doesn't drain very, very well. So look for those two things uh, when you're looking at the difference between those plants and their locations. The west side, east side, maybe that east side is drying out more quickly uh, because it's hotter on that particular side and the east side isn't. But take a look at the root rot problems that uh, that particular plant, the twisted myrtles, can have. I open my fig fruits and there are ants inside and the fruit is rotting from the inside out. Um, it's open, the sometimes, okay, that was her question. <laughs> I open my fig fruits and there are ants in the inside and the fruit is rotting from the inside out. Uh, I just, uh, when I'm out in one of the orchards that I'm, uh, I'm establishing right now, there are some figs out there and they're starting to produce in June. And when I walk by and I see something the birds haven't hammered yet, I'll go ahead and pick it just to taste it and see how it's doing. I did get one, one fruit from one fig that was real sour, that was really fermented and really uh, in bad shape. And I noticed that I looked at the bottom. At the bottom of the fruit, there's a hole. And that hole is called the eye. In some fig fruits, the eye is open and some of them are closed. You'll have fewer problems if you focus on figs, fig trees that produce fruit that have a closed eye rather than an open eye. The open eye, uh, ants could go inside, but usually ants are after some. Ants may enter inside of it. They could cause, they could carry with them some disease problems with them, causing some rotting on the inside. Ants aren't the cleanest things in the world, but if they can get inside, they're also, if it's starting to ripen, they could be after some of the sugar as well. It's always a good idea. Ants are never a good thing around fruit trees, whether they're figs or any other kind of fruit tree. I'd strongly suggest getting the ants under control. A method that I use is uh, the AMDRO, 
method, and those are ant baits that are sprinkled on top of the nest. You have to find the nest, which can be a problem for some people. You have to spend the time to find the nest of the opening in that general area. Sprinkle some of the crystals, the bait, on the opening of that, and within 24 hours, that nest will be dead. They'll transport that food, they think it's food, back inside the nest, and it will fumigate in where the queen is located. It'll fumigate that area and kill everything in the nest. And then that nest is dead. Yeah, it'll get, eventually, ants will come in and, and fill that void, uh, but at least for the meantime, the ants in that particular area are controlled. The other thing that you can use uh, for crawling up on figs or any other plant where ants are a problem is um, is a, a chemical, that's not a chemical, it's a treatment, organic treatment if you want to call it that, uh, called Tanglefoot, which is much like a Vaseline or an axle grease that is spread around the trunk of the tree and prevents the ants from climbing up because it's a sticky barrier. And if they cross that sticky barrier, they get stuck in it and they can't get any further. So you can make the same thing if you want to. Just anything sticky on the outside that the ants have to cross will keep them. Just keep anything clipped so nothing touches the ground or the ants will go around that barrier and they'll climb up inside the tree. But I would be looking at the possibility that those ants spread something, took something with them, and focus on figs that have a closed eye, produce fruit with a closed eye instead of an open eye. So anyway, I hope uh, that answered some of the questions you might have, and thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Learn more about desert horticulture by signing up for my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, Extreme Horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on Eventbrite if you're in the Las Vegas area. That's Bob Morris on Eventbrite.